This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Oaf. This is the third segment of our podcast relaunch, where we are sharing a podcast each week for the month of October, and then resuming our schedule of the second and fourth Fridays starting in November 2017. These first four podcasts center ideas of Second Story's mission and values. Last week on the podcast, we focused on diversity and the importance of having difficult conversations. This week, we are focusing on the value of courage because we believe that creating change in the world takes fearlessness and grit. Fearlessness can sometimes be related to recklessness, but this week's story shows that courage takes many forms. It must be present when striving for equality and empathy, in the creation of safe spaces, and most crucially, in making amends for mistakes in the process. In a story about gathering the courage to create change, Second Story is proud to present Amanda Delheimer. Amanda, Andres stops me in the staff room. There's trouble at the boys' house. I'm 24, the director of the Institute for Ideas. I think Kevin is being teased for being gay. Kevin is one of our students. When he walks into the room, the energy changes. Andres is also gay. During staff training, he told us that he was worried about being out since he'd be living with teenage boys, so he hasn't told them. Okay, thanks, Andres. I'll talk to him. The Institute for Ideas was a summer program for 50 high school students in the Michigan woods. It was an impossible to describe intersection of pedagogy and people that created this near utopian environment where students could explore their identity while also learning about rocket building and carpentry. The year prior, I had been the drama instructor, but this year, the summer of 2001, I'm in charge and we're having trouble with homophobia. It's a hundred little tiny things. Students not pairing with particular students or giving Kevin side eye when he wears something fabulous. It feels insidious. After lunch, I wait outside the dining hall to catch Kevin. Kevin, hey, I have a question for you. Can we walk together? He nods. We turn, sandals scattering mulch down the hill. I'm curious if anything's going on that I should know about. No response. I'm wondering if anybody's been giving you a hard time for being gay. His chin twitches, nothing I can't handle. We stop on the wooden bridge dividing the camp and lean on the rail. He looks down at the creek. Listen, you've told me what you're dealing with at your high school, so I have no doubt you can handle it, but you shouldn't have to, not here. Eventually, he tells me that a group of boys has called him names, made gestures and faces at him, but he refuses to give me any details. Can I talk to the staff about this? He nods and walks away. I stay on the bridge pretending to watch the waterfall, but really I'm watching Kevin make his way up the hill to the boys' house like you wait for a friend to get inside when you drop them off. My heart follows him up the hill. That afternoon, I call one of my mentors, Dave. I tell him how the climate feels unsafe, how my gut tells me it might become really toxic. I just feel like we have to do something. What about a speak out, he suggests. A what? A speak out? You can do it as an evening program. You work through a list of identities and give folks a chance to speak to what they're proud of and what's challenging about their experience. It can be pretty powerful. 10.45 that night, after lights out, the 13-member staff gathers for our weekly mega meeting. 
Andres shares his worries about Kevin. I walk everybody through the speak out. Maria, an out lesbian with a spiky black mullet, looks troubled. I like the idea of the students getting to hear from each other, she says, but it feels dangerous to me. I'm worried about the folks who aren't out. She's right, and yet... Even at 24, I knew enough to trust my gut as an educator, as a leader. If you listen with your entire self, you can get a sense of a room of what a particular group needs at a particular time. And the speak out felt right. But the possibility of outing my students, my colleagues, made my heart hurt. After the staff meeting, I escape outside. I pace the driveway loop out to the blooper ball field. The grass glistens heavy with dew. It's a new moon. Stars are everywhere. And all I want to do is lay down and lose myself in the 2 a.m. sky. But Maria's point has me all worked up. I wind up at the barn where we hold all of our evening programs. I have to lean back to open the huge doors. I take my shoes off, walk in, breathe in the vast darkness. I love big empty spaces. Empty theaters are one of my best places to do thinking after the actors have gone home. In the middle of the floor, I close my eyes and conjure the scene. I see Andres, Kevin, Maria standing alone in front of everyone else in a space that already feels unsafe. I shake the image from my head. No, it needs to be a bigger group. I imagine them again, this time surrounded by allies and friends. Maybe if I change the question... My words echo as I pace around the darkness. If you identify as lesbian, gay, by if you identify, or if you have friends or family that identify, yes, that will do it. The next two days fly by. I check in with Kevin, Andres, Maria. All three are excited about expanding the group to include allies. It feels good, safe. Tuesday night, 7.57 p.m., I stand barefoot in the middle of the barn floor, sweating. Michigan, late July, the air is soup. Hello, everyone. Tonight's evening program is called The Speak Out. It can be really difficult to talk about our identity. So tonight, we'll create a space to share about our experiences of things like race or gender or faith. We'll work our way through a list and invite individuals who identify in particular ways to come to the front of the room. Each group will have one minute to speak to what makes you proud about being in this identity group, one minute for what is challenging about being in this identity group, and one minute for what the listeners can do to be allies. For those of us who are not speaking, our job is to listen. Listening with our entire being can be a revolutionary act. During the activity, there will be no talking except for those who are speaking out. I find the eyes of the students I'm worried about and make sure they feel my gaze. Andres catches my eyes and smiles. Unfortunately, we don't have time to speak to every identity we have, so the staff chose some that can be particularly charged. Class, faith, gender, race and ethnicity, and sexual orientation. Maria unrolls a piece of butcher paper and tapes it to the wall. Here are the different groups that we're imagining. I read down the list, and Maria uses a Sharpie to add a couple of groups that the students suggest. I can feel the electricity in the room. This is going to work. Ready? The room nods, there are claps and cheers. Okay. Our first category is class. If you identify as working class, I invite you to come to the front of the room. I ask them to speak to the different questions. I ask them to sit down. If you identify as middle class, upper class, come to the front of the room. 
we switch identities. If you identify as Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, agnostic or atheist, of indigenous or traditional faith, I invite you to the front of the room. The groups come up, speak, sit down, and the things they say. I'm proud I come from people who work with their hands. Most people don't know that my religion exists. Let's begin our relationship in trust and not in the hatred of our ancestors. If you identify as female, male, transgender, or gender questioning, come to the front of the room. To everyone's surprise, a student named Abby stands up for all three categories, and then Maria joins her for the transgender group. The two of them clasp hands at the front of the room, answering the questions, what makes you proud, what's challenging, what can we do to be allies, and when they finish, the group cheers them to their seats. Yes, I think, yes. Race and ethnicity time. If you identify as black or African-American, Latino or Latina, Asian or Asian-American, American Indian, Alaskan Native or other indigenous peoples, Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, white, mixed. I love that Latinos all look so different from each other. I know I grew up in a racist family and I don't know how to deal with it. Work on your own prejudice. If you grew up in the U.S., it's impossible to escape. I could feel the learning happening. I could see it in their faces as they listened, as they were heard. Many of these students had interacted with somebody of a different race for the very first time when they arrived here 15 days before. And then the moment I'd spent hours deliberating over. Before we move into the final category of the evening, I just want to name that the quality of listening in this room tonight is exquisite. Our final category is sexual orientation. Ready? I'm asking myself as much as them. If you or one of your friends or family members identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or questioning, I invite you to come to the front of the room. A revolution around the sun between heartbeats and then a scattering of individuals move and then more and more, and within seconds, half the camp is standing at the front of the room, just like I'd imagined, barely able to speak past the pressure in my chest. What makes you proud about being a member of this identity group? I feel connected to people all over the world. I'm proud that my uncle has overcome so much. Elton John! Their faces are joyous, the pride contagious. What's challenging about being a member of this identity group? Entering a room and deciding how honest I can be. It makes me so mad when people use the word gay as an insult. Sometimes I have to choose. Do I want to be safe or do I want to be myself? I scan the faces of the students listening, see them nodding along. What can we do to be allies? Don't assume things. Call out discrimination when you see it. Love people for who they are and not who you think they should be. Thank you. You may sit down. And as the crowd hums their way back to their seats, Maria squeezes my arm and grins. Andres is beaming. I am jubilant. All right, home stretch. If you identify as heterosexual, I invite you to come to the front of the room. And as they start to move, I panic silently as practically everyone gets up and leaves Maria, Andres, Kevin, 
Abby, and seven other students and staff members behind. I look back at the 50 people at the front of the room, despite all of my good intentions, all of those conversations, all of the straight people are on one side of the room staring at all of the people I had tried so hard not to out. Kevin radiates defiance, Abby and Maria hold hands again, and Andres sits stoic, lips pressed together, 11 souls spread around the space, islands in a burnished wooden sea. And there is nothing I can do to fix it. Sixteen years later, standing in front of you, I can still feel it in my body, the horror of that moment. And all I could do was keep going. Ignore the weight in my stomach, the crawling skin, the blushing face. Ask the group the three questions. Thank them. Circle up with the 63 students and staff and sit a hollow shell of shame as Maria leads the reflection. I have returned to this moment over and over. How did I not see it sooner? It's a talisman for me. I hold it in my heart as a reminder that my intent does not matter. Or rather, that my intent is not good enough. I had good intentions. Everyone knew I had good intentions. And yet, I, a straight, white, cisgender woman in a position of leadership, stripped them of their agency. I can't hide behind my intent. The impact is the impact. There's a part of me that wants to end the story here so as not to soften what I did because attention must be paid to a mistake like that. But for a long time, I harbored only the shame of that moment and forgot this second part. Last day of camp, I'm hanging out in front of the dining hall saying goodbye to students, checking them off my list as they leave, wondering if the summer turned out so well in spite of my egregious mistake or because of it. Kevin is the last to get picked up. He hugs each staff member, and when he gets to me, I put my clipboard down so I can hug him with both arms. As we pull away, he hands me a small folded note like you palm a tip to a concierge. Read this later, he whispers, not making eye contact as he scuttles away and climbs into an old blue minivan. Much later that night, after the staff has spent hours cleaning, after we've cooked each other our favorite dishes and gotten very, very drunk, I find myself again on the blooper ball field. The full moon is huge. I'm on my back, reveling in the glory of having nowhere to be when I remember Kevin's note in my pocket. In the moonlight, I can just make out what he's written in rainbow block letters. Two sentences jump out. Thank you for the love, support, and respect you've given me. And thank you for living up to the philosophy that you speak. And that my friends, is the other thing that I hold on to. Yes, the mistake. Each time I step in it, and I step in it a lot, I ask myself, how could I have done that better? How do I not do that again? But beyond the mistake is what I do in its wake, how I change, how I take action. And that, to me, is the powerful talisman. Thank you. 
Amanda's story was curated and directed by Jessica Kadish. Live music for this show was performed by Jazzology. The Second Story podcast is produced by Liv Oaf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Oaf, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.